2: Ever wonder how Mizzou seems to produce quality defensive linemen and NFL backup quarterbacks? How about why former Mizzou wrestlers want to fight Jake Paul? Or are you curious about why Missouri men's basketball losing a 15-seed Norfolk State in the 2012 NCAA Tournament wasn't all that bad? Well, I can guarantee you two of those three. But if
3: you want the best information out of Mizzou football, basketball, and everything else MU, listen to the Columbia Daily Tribune's
2: Mizzou Sports Podcast featuring me, Tribune Sports Editor Chris Kwizinski. And me, Tribune Mizzou Athletics beat reporter Eric Blum. We'll discuss all things Tigers, including Joe Exotic. Did he play for Mizzou? No, but we did have a dentist in town grace the cover of ESPN the magazine. In all seriousness, we'll break down every game, press conference, and big move from Columbia. We'll give
3: expert analysis on Missouri and explain how each result matters to every MU fan.
2: We may sprinkle in some takes on other things, too, like how Shakespeare's pizza is a can't-miss Columbia experience, but their pizza is just good. Maybe third best in town.
3: Yeah, that shouldn't offend anybody. But if you want the premier unfiltered direct podcast on Mizzou athletics, subscribe to the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast with new episodes streaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms everywhere
2: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Plum, breaking down Mizzou sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me as always is the Tribune sports editor, Chris Kwasinski. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. Thank you. Where do
3: you want to start this week? Uh, that's a good question. Because where do you start with the Central Michigan team that might
2: not be with its head coach? I don't know. Well, we'll start. I guess we'll start there. You listen to our trailer to start our new trailer to start this episode, which is, I guess, Chris says, kind of meta. Listening to our own trailer for podcast, you're already listening to. So thank you. But yes, yesterday it came out that Jim McElwain has appendicitis. We don't know. It's not likely, but we don't know whether he's going to be in columbia for this opening matchup how do you think that affects the team at all or does it affect central michigan
3: i don't think it affects the outcome at all but i definitely think it affects central michigan when you talk about you know how uh, just really just from a morale standpoint i mean it's first game of the season your your head coach isn't even there like
2: I, i feel like that has to affect you a little bit when you think about it from that point of view yeah, I, I would think so. It's not like you know Nick Saban's not there, or you you can't replace a head coach. But if you can't do the things that your head coach is teaching you without your head coach there, you're not going to be a successful team anyway. You know, he's not out on the sidelines, uh, or not does not come out to come off the sidelines. Excuse me, in a normal game anyway. So. You know, of course, prayers up to Jim McElwain. Hope you're better. You know, I've had, fam- I've had, you know, like friends of family members who've had, you know, appendicitis in the past, and it's not fun. From what I can see, I've never had it, but you know. Well, I have. Oh, you have? Yeah. So, I, what, t- give your appendicitis story. Uh, so,
3: uh, this is this is a throwback all the way to 2008. Uh, I was actually at my eighth grade school dance. Uh, we spent the entire week preparing getting, you know, buying a, I think it was a new suit uh, in preparation for graduation and all that kind of stuff. Middle and, school graduation, the highest of honors. I, I was stoked. I was yeah. living life. I was a big man on campus, um, only because I was the tallest person there, but um,
2: still. Literally, not <laughs> figuratively in this case, the, the tall male, big man on campus. Oh, yeah. Or, or both, maybe. I shouldn't be I shouldn't be short-shelling. Uh, uh, I wasn't a popular kid, but okay. in any case, I
3: remember going to this dance, eating some terrible catered food and then sitting in a bathroom for two hours and being like, why does my body hurt? Why is this not okay? Um, and I, we actually talked about this in the newsroom when the news broke about Jim McElwain yesterday. We're like, "Well, how long does it take to recover?" It took me like a week and a half, but that's only because I was a child, M- mind you. I was a child. I was going. You know, I I'd, had I'd never been in the hospital before. That was my first major medical event in my life. It what, was, the, was appendicitis. Oh yeah.
2: Well, the, he said they was having surgery. Do you need surgery? Whatever that's referring to. Oh like yeah, but it depends if your appendix bursts or not. Yours? no we don't know whether his it or not um from
3: what it sounds like it they just went and just took it out like what yeah. they do with me is like it's called like laparoscopic surgery they just do little tubes get in there and just break it up and pull it out super simple and if you're an adult or a
2: grown up and not a baby like me then you probably be over it in a couple of days Right, so we, we we don't know yet, and I have to ask: Did you have a date to this appendicitis I, I, No, no. Okay, I was about to say it's not. It's not like prom, where like your prom date just alone now because you're in the bathroom with your appendix. No, no. Okay, well, good good to know. We went down memory lane there. I, I I've had heartburn and like food poisoning, but I guess some of it was – but I guess never it was appendicitis. Anyway, uh, but yes, back to central michigan uh here but yes this is all relevant information here with uh you know no head coach coming to town and jim mcelin former former florida head coach and never got appendicitis in florida with all the great food of gainesville but gets it in michigan i guess i I don't know what that says about that but if central michigan is going to somehow pull this upset where would you see knowing that you know more, more about mizzou now as a route for them to pull the upset is, would this be Mizzou making unforced errors and letting them into the game or is this does Central Michigan have a route here regardless of what Mizzou does they, Central Michigan has to score points on defense and or special
3: teams it has to be something that Mizzou allows them to do it's got to be Connor Bazak throwing a pick six it's got to be um, whoever kicks you know, returns their kicks going 98 yards for a touchdown. It's got to be stuff that Mizzou lets slip through the cracks and that kind of stuff or and really just doesn't take this opponent seriously. You've seen it so many times. I mean, I, I think back to the last major upset central michigan pulled which was against oklahoma state which at the end was a play they just didn't defend properly they allowed that last second play i think it was cooper rush's quarterback and just chucked a massive bomb all the way to like the 10-yard line to the receiver who lateraled it and the guy just ran to the opposite side of the end zone for a touchdown to win the game i mean that's a play that if you play it properly you win the game i mean there was a bunch of defensive players on the strong side of the ball no one on the
2: weak side so that's how they did it yeah, I actually remember that. I don't know if it was Cooper Rush or not. I don't know who the the, uh, the guy's name now, or he graduated last year. It was the guy before him, and I can't remember his name either. I'm not up on Oklahoma State football, I guess. I cover the SEC, not the Big 12, and we're bringing in Oklahoma and Texas, but Oklahoma State's staying away, right? I guess. Well, whatever. But, yeah, I, I would think that if Central Michigan is going to win this game, one name you're going to keep hearing is Khalil Pimpleton. Khalil Pimpleton is the last Mizzou player who I would assume – was khalil pimpleton and i'm trying to think of a relevant example because mizzou hasn't had that guy who i guess maybe ladamian washington would be the last guy like that a guy who could play quarterback and just throwing the ball which ladamian really didn't do but you know a guy who could also run the ball and be your kick returner and punt returner and your main wide receiver i'm not sure missouri's had a guy like that in a long time i mean, I mean jamon moore you know was a little bit like that i mean there just hasn't been. I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain of a guy who is like that from Missouri. Jarrell Jackson wasn't like that. I mean, there's a lot of different people who, you know, just have been dynamic players, but none quite like Pimpleton. And you've had other SEC schools like last year. We saw Kadarius Tony at Florida. You know, there's just guys out there who are great. Missouri just hasn't had a guy like that. Not that a guy couldn't do that, but if Central Michigan going to win this game. This might have to be Khalil Pimpleton and then everyone else. Right. I mean, you, I think
3: just think back to just a game-changing player. The last person that I personally remember from Missouri has to be someone like Jeremy Macklin. I mean, a guy that you can just chuck the ball to, who can return kicks and that kind of stuff. De- that can play in multiple parts of the game. You know, it doesn't have to be just a, as a dynamic
2: receiver. Although that would help a lot. But Jeremy Macklin never did the wildcat. I thought of him, but who, who actually ran the wildcat right. in that way? I mean, maybe. I mean, I'm tr- maybe maybe it's Michael Wilson who's on the team now. Last year he was the last Missouri player. Um, or more, the only Missouri player to catch and throw a, a touchdown pass. I mean, there's been only been a few who have done that, but, like, Michael Wilson is one of them. I mean, he's one of, I think, 20 players in Brooklyn history who have thrown, ran for, and caught a touchdown pass. So all that saying that Pimpleton is going to be a, you know, a, a guy that I think that they go to over and over and over again until either Missouri has clearly shut him down and they need to do something else, or... He breaks through and beats Missouri. I mean, you know, is there another route here? I mean, I don't think, even with how good, you know, the Harrison guy on defense is going to be for them, is there another route here for Central Michigan? I I mean, listen, if they win this game, I would be a little shocked. But it would not be like SEMO beating them. Like, this is a Central Michigan team who went to the MAC title game two years ago. Like, there's a lot of talent on this team. There's a lot of good young talent on this team. Who we think the starting quarterback will be, you know, is Jacob Sermon, the Washington transfer Jim McElwain said they might play multiple quarterbacks. That means nothing. I mean, really, at this point, Jim McIlwain's— I don't want to call him the quarterback whisperer, but he just seems to know how to push those buttons in that way. But when you have a Washington transfer who played behind Jacob Eason and really just has that experience, you don't go with a redshirt freshman kid. You just don't. Or maybe I'm completely wrong. I mean, just it just seems like to me— he's going to be the starter. Is, is there another route here for Central Michigan to win this game? I guess you just talk about what what do you want coming out of your quarterback?
3: You know, Do you want Sermon, a, a guy who is in, probably a, a better passer than Richardson is? I mean, I know the report on Richardson. He's got a big arm. He can move, but the, the accuracy might not be there totally, completely. But I mean, but when you think about uh, a player like that does that athleticism help you more than just being a pure pocket passer where you can try and pick apart an sec defense and uh, i mean it but to get back to your, to your question i mean it really i don't think there is another way you it's either pemberton breaks this game open by himself or
2: mizzou loses the game yeah it, it those being the 2 ways, central michigan wins it that, that being that and for daniel richardson the thing that i looked at is he's 511 yeah I, I just I'm, I I, get, I know Drew Brees is there. I know Russell Wilson's there. There have been other guys who are that height that can win, but they have just premier athleticism and everything else. And their one red flag is their height. I don't think Daniel Richardson applies to that category. I could be wrong, but if he has a phenomenal arm and just can run the option and but that's not their style no. or something. If he's a pocket passer five eleven, that could work in the MAC. Name an SEC quarterback who's been purely a pocket passer five eleven just just seriously who maybe if, chase daniel back but that was the big 12 chase, days chase daniel was 6162 is he really yeah oh yeah he's not that short no i mean like i mean kelly bryant was 6-2 but he wasn't that great at that either um i mean i say that because there might not be an answer like south carolina's quarterback a couple of years ago i forget his name uh kadarian joiner might be his name who started the game a couple of years ago here in south carolina and they tried that um, after Ryan Holinsky um, had that weird uh, fumble into the end zone where he bat, uh, like batted down his own pass and threw it backwards and was like, that's an incomplete pass. We're like, no, that's a fumble because he threw it behind you right into the end zone. Um, but uh, beyond that, no, the, I, I just don't see a way. And the other possible quarterback choice here, Tyler Pape for Central Michigan, seems to be kind of just a combination of the two. Young like Richardson, but has the mold type of a Jacob Sermon. So we'll see where they go from there. We talked about a lot of these different Central Michigan things with our special guest this week, Christian Buer of Central Michigan Life. He's a student there, broke down everything Central Michigan. And then when we come out of this break, we'll talk about Jake Paul, give our final predictions and much more. So without further ado, here's my interview from earlier this week with Christian Boer. Joining the Mizzou Sports Podcast
0: this time is the Central Michigan football beat reporter for Central Michigan Live, Christian Booer. How you doing, man?
4: Not bad. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks Thanks for jumping on with us. Just kind of give us an intro, first off, to you and the this year's Central Michigan team.
4: Yeah, so I'm going into my third year at Central Michigan. I'm... Currently a journalism student, um, I started my career, uh, my writing career, covering the CMU volleyball, field hockey, soccer teams, to work my way up to football, and um, now. Uh, with the graduation of some upperclassmen, I've kind of stepped into full-fledged beat reporter role. And um, what matter time, really? I mean, there's so many storylines going on, uh, heading into kind of a make-or-break year for Coach Jim McElwain. Um, he tells us that year three was circled for him. You know, it's his guys now. It's his team. Um, kind of set the conference on fire in his first year. He took on a team that was 1-11 and essentially with the same guys, won the Mac West and took them to the championship game uh, last year. Got some subpar quarterback play, just a lot of uncertainty at the position and finished 500. Um, and he called that 500 finish unacceptable. So heading into a big year. Uh, a lot of questions, and that's what makes this job so much fun. And uh, looking forward to week one.
0: That's a great transition to one of the main questions I had for you was, a lot of people remember Jim McElwain from his days in Florida, especially at Missouri. Just where do things currently reside with him? And would you say he's on a hot seat? You said year three is important, but where do things kind of just reside with the head coach?
4: Yeah, no, it's really uncertain because, you know, at the end of the day, Jim McIlwain Jim McIlwain, and he showed what he can do in year one. And and really, if he's on the hot seat, I mean, who else is coming to Mount Pleasant of his caliber? Um, So I wouldn't necessarily put him on the hot seat. I will say that that this is a big year um, just because it kind of defines where the program's at Matt Wayne, his first two years, did a really good job recruiting. He did a really good job selling this program. I remember his first year, um, during that recruiting cycle, I'd have been a senior in high school, but, but following closely with that, um, it, it was just really neat to see all these guys that, you know, he was flipping commits and bringing in three star guys. The amount of three star guys on this roster is, is incredible. And a name that he brought in, um, who has since transferred, uh, was Jordan Ingram, who's now at Auburn. Ingram was a guy who came in in 2020. He's the highest-rated recruit now Fresh Michigan's ever had. And he spent the, the 2020 season, Interesting enough, McIlwain sent home a bunch of the freshmen in 2020 because the Mid-American Conference originally canceled its season. So he sent home a bunch of the freshmen. Uh, Ingram was one of them. And then when he got on campus in the spring, he ended up transferring up to Auburn. Never got to see him play, but the caliber back that, that he was, was interesting. I think that kind of speaks to what he's at as a recruiter. But at the end of the day, he's got to win football games. And I think that's part of the reason why you're going to see him travel to Missouri and in a couple of weeks, you are going to go down to Baton Rouge and play LSU. Um, it's it's really interesting because you, at the end of the day, McIlwain, if he wants to continue bringing in these guys, he's got to sell this team with wins. They've got a nice new building, you know, the Chippewa Champions Center facility. And that's going to help with recruiting, but at the end of the day, winning's winning. And so McIlwain, if he wants to help his case, he's got to get this team right back on the right track. He's got to get them back to 500, above 500, and he's got to get them back in the max title game.
0: You mentioned the subpar quarterback play. I think it's a trend throughout Missouri's even first six games of the year. Transfer quarterback after transfer quarterback. I think, I, it's astonishing how many Missouri a, used to be or currently still are at the Power Five level. You know, and I, I know you were at the press conference with Jim McIlwain earlier today, and he said multiple guys are going to be playing quarterback. I don't know how if I buy that. But so what's your read on the quarterback situation with the loss?
4: Yeah, so McIlwain's a former quarterback himself, and he's kind of bought into that um, that strategy that's going on today where if you don't name a quarterback heading into the game, it's it's kind of a strategic advantage, which I understand, uh, because these guys on Central Michigan roster have very different, distinct skill sets. The way I see it, it's between three guys. Uh, Jacob Sermon's a Washington transfer from 2018 recruiting class. Sermon spent three years with the Huskies. He sat behind Jacob Easton, who's now with the Indianapolis Colts, for two years and then lost out on a quarterback battle to Dylan Morris, who's their starter now. And Sermon's a guy who – From all indications, you know, we haven't had any in-person practice access this year, but from all indications, Sherman has a very, very good arm. And that fits well with what Central Michigan wants to do. Um, They're breaking in a new offensive coordinator, Kevin Barbe, but he was, I mean, he's not necessarily new because he's just switching positions. He was the wide receivers coach here. And Barbe is going to probably do the same things that Charlie Fry did when he was the offensive coordinator here before leaving to coach quarterbacks with the Miami Dolphins. And basically what they want to do is they want to, stretch the field. They want to throw the ball deep. They want to set themselves up comfortably so that in the second half they can pound the run game. And Sermon and his skill set fits well with that. However, the mobility with him is a little bit of a concern. That brings me to Daniel Richardson. Daniel Richardson's a redshirt freshman. This third year on campus, you know, with the eligibility stuff, he's just still a redshirt freshman. Richardson was the guy last season for the first four games. And Richardson showed some promise. The arm talent is unquestionably there. He can throw the ball with the best of them. His problem is his size. He's only five foot ten, and that caused some trouble. You saw it in some games. If you watch Central Michigan, um, he had some trouble getting balls batted down at the line against these taller defenders, these edge rushers. That caused some problems for him. There's also a little bit of a durability concern. He missed the last two games with a high ankle sprain. Um, just questions about whether or not he can withstand the rigors that come with battling in the Mid-American Conference. My third candidate for this quarterback job is Tyler Pape. Pape, another one of those guys I mentioned to Ingram earlier. Pape is a guy who grade in 2020. And, you know, asking Coach McElwain about it, he says he wishes he never would have sent him home because I think if Pape was on campus for 2020, he could be a guy who could very well win this job. All indications out of, out of fall camp have been nothing but good things about Tyler standing six foot four, really good arm, and he has the mobility as well. And I think that's something McIlwain likes. He likes guys who can get things done with their feet. He said the biggest thing in his press conference with, with his quarterback is he wants a guy that can move the field on their own. You know, it's not just guys making the right completions, it's guys being accurate and guys being able to make plays on their own. So I think Pape is a step behind the first two guys, Sermon and Richardson, just because it was inexperienced. But as the year goes on, man, I think he's going to be a big player in this conversation. Real quick, if I had to give you a starter for week one, you know, he mentioned multiple guys. I still think this is Sermon's job to lose. And I also think he's kind of throwing his joker out there uh, because last season they did a lot of Wildcat stuff with Khalil Pimpleton, the wide receiver, as well. So when he says multiple guys are going to play quarterback, that doesn't necessarily, they're all going to be quarterbacks on the roster.
0: Makes sense. Yeah, talking to Phil Steele a couple weeks ago, who also talked to McAleen. I'm pretty sure he thinks Sermon is getting the job, too. And that, that would have been my pick, too. You go with the guy with the most high risk, you know, the littlest risk and the most potential yep. in a season opener against Missouri, where really, Central Michigan, I don't want to say has nothing to lose, but I think a lot of people in Missouri are kind of looking maybe a tiny bit past them a little bit. But um, just you mentioned Pimpleton. Who are some of the other guys that the Missouri fans should know that could be a difference maker on Saturday?
4: Well yeah, Pippleton's gonna be all over the field. I mean, he's gonna be in the slot, out wide, he's gonna be in the backfield, he's gonna be the quarterback, he's gonna be the punt returner. Um, that's a name that you're going to need to familiar, your size, familiarize yourself with. Um, coming from Virginia Tech as a transfer, he's just a heck of a player and can play with the best of them. Um, I'll send him on the offensive side, Lou Nichols at running back. You know, Kobe Lewis done for the year, or they didn't say he was done for the year, but he's going to undergo surgery and is most likely done for the year. Uh, at the very least, he's going to play the minimum four games um, and, and maintain renter status. So he's not going to be a factor in this one. Um, Nichols is a guy who was the co-MAC freshman of the year last year. Um, Really impressive season in that six-game slate. Another guy who's in his third year on campus, but is still just a redshirt freshman thanks to the new rules. Um, Outside of him on offense, you know, there's a lot of guys who are kind of on the verge of breaking out. Ja'Cory Sullivan's one of them. who was really quiet his first couple years here. And then when McIlwain took over, kind of took that next step. So with the confidence in quarterback play, I think to Corey Sullivan uh, is, is in, you know, he's in line to be the next breakout star. Dallas Dixon's a transfer from Northern Michigan. Really great story. Uh, basically just showed up at, you know, on Mount Pleasant's campus at Central Michigan and said, hey, I want to play. And after redshirting in 2019, came out and had a really nice 2020. Um, outside of those two guys, really, uh, just a bunch of guys getting ready to break out. I mean, Joe Wilson, I can go on and on. Bernard Raymond at left tackle is going to be a guy who a lot of NFL scouts have their eye on. He's a converted tight end. On the defensive side, look out for Troy Harrison, a really hungry guy. I mean, I think he's a fifth-year, might be a sixth-year senior. Um, walk, former walk-on, was the mass defensive player of the year last year. Just a beast off the edge. I mean, you look at him, and he's not going to blow you away with his measurables. Um, I think he stands – between five, ten and six foot. Um, you know, he's not, he's not going to wow anybody with his size, but man, that guy's got the heart and he comes off that edge with a purpose. So Troy Harrison's another good one. Troy Brown, uh, at linebacker is very, very good. Um, first team all Mac on defense the last two years. Um, converted safety, so we've got really good ball skills, and I think that helps with that defense that they try to play. They play that 4 where that linebacker is going to have to cover, and he does a good job of that. In the secondary, a lot of experience, but I'm going to throw a couple freshmen at you. Dede Hill and Dante Kent were two guys from the 2020 class who elected to stay on campus. In the fall last year. And for that reason, they got very valuable experience. Dante Kent, especially, had an interception to win the game against Eastern Michigan. And D J Hill, the guy who didn't really get to show his skill set as much, but is a guy Napoleon and company love. So, those two guys, I think, are going to be huge playmakers. Ma- play excuse me. Um, Central Michigan just had a defensive back, Brian Edwards, who started three games from last year, transfer out, and I think that's an indication that McElwain and company want to stick with those young guys. It's kind of a long-winded answer there, but a lot of guys from Central Michigan just really on the cusp of breaking out.
0: Sounds good. Uh, we talked a little bit off recording, but the spread was just announced. Uh, Missouri is a 13-and-a-half point favorite. Should the Chippewas make up that on paper, two touchdown difference, how do you think they would get that done?
4: I think it's going to have to start with the offense. I think Missouri, you know, everything I've seen shows that they're pretty sound defensively. Um, and and for that reason, you know, Central Michigan's going to have to make very few, if any, mistakes. Um, the offense has always been kind of the strong suit under McIlwain and company in terms of being able to put up the points. I mean, that first year, they were just... You know, Quentin Dormany, the quarterback in 2019, didn't really have a, a flashy arm by any means, but they were still able to put up points for the best of them because of just how good their receivers are. So expect, you know, if they're going to get that done, I think Jacob Sermon, who's my pick to be the starting quarterback, is going to just have to kind of torch the secondary, uh, getting the ball in the hands of guys like Pimpleton down the field, Sullivan down the field. And then they're going to need a good game from Lou Nichols as well uh, on the ground because when they become one dimensional that's when things go awry. And then, you know, that offense of Missouri's. I think Central Michigan can hang with it. Uh, I think their defense is in a good spot. So, really, if they're going to make up that two-touchdown deficit, it's going to fall in the hands of the offense and their ability to make plays.
0: What do you think – how do you think this one ends up? And do you have a final score prediction?
4: Yeah, so I think the Chippewas are going to battle a little bit um, to start. I think that the offense can hang with – Missouri for maybe a half. Maybe they make it interesting and go three-quarters. But at the end of the day, I just don't think they've got enough. Um, And I think that there's still a lot of question marks. And for that reason, um, I think the Chippewas, I think that they just missed covering. I've got Missouri 38, CMU 24.
0: So, living this by a half a point, unless that spread moves. Yeah, I think that spread might move by the end of the weekend once the money starts coming in. So maybe that will mean they're covering by the time people are listening to this, but that's fine. Uh, Where can people keep up with everything you're writing going into the game for the opponent's perspective? Where can everybody find you online, Christian?
4: Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at CBOOHER underscore, at C-B-O-O-H-E-R underscore. Um, And then if you're – uh, I'm going to plug my colleagues a little bit here because they do a lot of great work on, you know, we're the student Central Michigan University student boys since 1919. You can go to cm-life.com. Again, that's cm-life.com to check out all the good stuff we're doing over there.
0: All right, that was Christian Boer who who writes about Central Michigan football for the Central
4: Michigan Life. Thank you so much, Christian, for your time. Uh, are you making the trip down here on Saturday? yeah absolutely it's actually funny my, they're doing an alumni tailgate my dad's a CMU alum so uh, we're making the family trip down there how far of a drive is that
0: from Mount Pleasant
4: oh gosh it's about 8 hours I do oh, believe that's, that's not that bad no that's doable in a day
0: closer than most of the other SD SC schools Like it's it's about 9 to Tennessee from here so that's not really? that bad yeah so so have fun with that drive and uh, yeah I will see you on Saturday man thank you All right, sounds good. Thanks
4: so
3: much. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create the perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life phyllis nichols state farm insurance there when things go wrong here to help life go right the mizzou sports podcast is brought to you by zaxby's the home of handmade to order chicken Zalots and more than a dozen mild to wild sauces stop by your neighborhood zaxby's today follow mizzou football with the tribune's tiger extra newsletter sign up at columbiatribune.com slash tiger extra for stories galleries and podcasts in your inbox every wednesday saturday and sunday
1: So, John, question. With Auburn firing Gus Malzahn, it leaves Ed Ogeron as the SEC's only coach who has beaten Nick Saban. Who's going to be the next SEC coach to beat Saban?
3: Well, I don't think he'll be the guy that a lot of people think he will be, Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. I like Lane Kiffin at all Miss. He almost beat Saban last year, and he almost beat Saban when he was at Tennessee.
1: Fisher promised he was going to thump Saban's rump whenever Alabama comes to College Station. I think he's got a shot. He improved Texas A&M to 9-1 and last year. He's got a national champion to his name. If Haynes King is the real deal, he's got an early opportunity in October to beat Nick Saban.
3: Look at Saban's track record for losses. It's usually to a great quarterback, Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, or Joe Burrow. Matt Carell at Ole Miss, I think, could be the best quarterback in
1: the league. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist john adams let's just say he's got a few decades on me
3: not as many decades as some people think contrary to popular opinion I did not cover General Nealon, but I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning.
1: More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Got to go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Christian for joining us on this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast. I think he's the first student we've ever actually had be a special guest and definitely a credit to. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities knowing that you went to Bradley Northwestern, I went to Towson. There's a lot of these, you know, lower schools. I mean, you don't have to go to Mizzou to make it in the journalism world. And seeing a guy from a school where you don't think about as a journalism powerhouse, sorry to say, in, in central Michigan who clearly is dedicated and knows that much about his craft. I'm, I'm impressed. I'll give you that. Yeah, no, I mean,
3: you just got to get your start somewhere. And, I mean, we were, I mean, we were talking about it. I mean, like, who else out there
2: covers Central Michigan like he does? No one. I mean, that, that, that's the outlet. I mean, really, no one. So maybe, maybe, you know, for bigger stories, national outlets might come in or maybe then bigger outlets around the area and Mount Pleasant might come in. But in terms of an everyday boots on the ground type thing, it's impressive. I got to give it up to that uh, entire outlet Central Michigan life. But welcome back to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast. I'm Eric and there's Chris also with us. I know Chris is really chomping at the bit to talk about Tyron Woodley and Jake Paul. So why don't, why don't we get into uh, the latest Mizzou wrestler to lose at a boxing match to <laughs> Jake Paul
3: it's it's I, I still have my it's still hard for me to wrap my head around this as i fumble through my words it's just jake paul is a fighter i, I mean i've t- talked about this with friends of mine before it just it just sounds weird it feels weird to say it. and i mean apparently he's retired now
2: too no like, he came back already did he come back yeah i see this is why i can't take it seriously it's, it's just so hard hey, yeah okay so let's let's dial it back for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about okay you're an alien who just dropped off another planet Describe Jake Paul to me in 10 seconds. Ready, go. He makes videos on YouTube, makes a lot of money, and fights people. Anything more? We're still at six, three, two. That's all I need to know. Okay. So, yes, Jake and his brother Logan. You know, they're essentially the quintessential – when you think about people with social media influence who maybe have let it go to their head a little bit, I'm not sure there's a better – you know, it's the demelio family and the Paul family. That's really what you need to know. Right. And the Paul family is Logan Paul and Jake Paul. Logan Paul I think is in his mid-20s. Jake Paul is still a little bit younger than him, maybe a little bit older than that, maybe late 20s. But who cares? But Jake Paul might actually have some legitimate boxing skill. Like he's not like – we're not talking Floyd Mayweather. You know, Lennox Lewis, Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali—nothing close to that here. But he knows how to punch, knows how to defend himself a little bit, and so back in April, he had his first kind of quote-unquote major pay-per-view fight against former Mizzou wrestler Ben Askren. And those of you who remember Ben Askren from his time at Mizzou or with the UFC, he's a ground guy. He relies on his wrestling and his jujitsu and tries to tap you out and just smother you on the ground. None of that is kind of the stand-up. You remember his fight against Jorge Masvidal back in July in 2019, and he was on the unfortunate wrong end of the UFC record of quickest knockout ever. Masvidal with the flying knee knocked out Ben Askren in five seconds. Ben Askren fared, I guess, a little better against Jake Paul back in April, but he still got knocked down in like 80 seconds. And I'll say it like this. I'm a fan of professional wrestling. I know a good choreographed fight when I see one I'm not saying Ben Askren kind of laid his face out there for Jake Paul because it looked a little real but I could find a lot worse ways to gain $500,000 in 80 seconds than just to get punched in the face once, act a little loopy and then walk out of the building perfectly fine about 5 minutes later from here I expected Tyron Woodley to take the fight a little more seriously he didn't Like, if Tyron Woodley wanted to win this fight, he would have, in my opinion. And there's some film already going around online where Tyron Woodley might have deserved a knockdown where he had Jake Paul up against the ropes and it wasn't called. Like, I mean, Jake Paul won the fight by split decision. And both he and Tyron made a ton of money from the fight. But knowing Tyron's UFC career, and I know it's very much on the downslide, like he lost to Usman, he lost to Colby Covington, he lost to uh, the Brazilian guy, Bruno something, I can't remember his name. That's really going to bother me. But he was, the guy who was about to fight Usman for the middleweight title, but then pulled out. Oh, Gilbert Burns, completely off. Um, but you look at going, you know, Woodley's kind of slide, it's like a five-match losing streak. You go back to just, Tyron's punching ability against a Jake Paul go back to the Robbie Lawler fight go back to a couple other of his fights and he clearly can punch like he was a good Mizzou wrestler but he was a better mixed martial artist so where do you think that Tyron Dudley goes from here another Jake Paul fight what would you do I, uh, it
3: really just depends on if you want to keep fighting uh, like le- legitly c- c- I mean because hey, like you were talking about like these Jake Paul fights don't seem like they're because if they were legit he'd be fighting someone for the you know he'd be fighting someone for the cruiserweight championship he'd be fighting for the title he'd be fighting for the belt and I get it if you're building your way up to that that's one thing but it just doesn't seem like you know I mean, he fights an exhibition against Floyd and and that kind of stuff, and he's fighting exhibition against Floyd was actually Logan, his brother. What, his brother. See, I can't even get him straight. Right. But but uh, um, but but I mean, you also talk about guys who are wrestlers who are, who have different fighting styles, different sports, really, that are fighting this guy. I mean, I, but if you when you talk about uh, just going back from from here, I mean, yeah, you, you just go back to what you know. I mean, go back to wrestling and that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I think it would be kind of a... I mean, this is out of my depth here, because I'm not as big a wrestling fan as you, but I mean, like, go back to what you know,
2: right? being serious. And there's a lot of combat sports. Like, if I'm Ben Askren, he's kind of said this, go back to training kids in your wrestling gym in Wisconsin, which I think he's going to go do. He made enough money. He's kind of done with the UFC. Just let it be. Right. For Tyron, Tyron recently just got out of his UFC contract, and this was kind of his first fight outside of the UFC since like 2000 and, I want to say, six or seven. And it was a boxing match. So, I mean... I don't know how much money Tyron Woodley made that hasn't been reported yet, but to me, I know the start of a good angle, if I choreographed part of storyline, professional Wrestling, when I see one. Getting a split decision to then come back and then knock out Jake Paul just to get a tattoo. You know, there was something on the line of, like, and he needs to make a tattoo visible when you put on a shirt and shorts of, I love Jake Paul. I wouldn't do that, but, like maybe he's making good enough money to where that's a rationale thought at 39 years old for tyron woodley so i guess you know the saga of mizzou fighters knocking out you know or not getting knocked out by jake paul goes on so i do want to ask you this question though if you could pick any mizzou athlete who forever that you think could knock out jake paul in any sport who would it be oh wow yeah you can pick anybody
3: you know, I'm going I'm, I'm to have a little recency bias
2: here. Being a Bears fan, I'd pick Larry Borum. <laughs> if weight classes don't exist, yeah. you're going with an offensive lineman who's 6'6", six, six, 330 to go against yeah. Jake Paul. That's a good one. I like that. I mean, the obvious pick is Mike Chandler, who could have been the UFC, uh, I guess would have been lightweight champion, former Bellator lightweight champion, even though Jake Paul probably has 50, 60 pounds on him. I mean, Mike Chandler can absolutely scrap. Like Mike Chandler probably should be the UFC lightweight champion right now. He, he lost to another Brazilian guy who I can't remember the name of off the top of my head either. Um, but, you know, there's a, a couple other guys there out there in the lexicon. Like someone, I think when I was thinking about this on Twitter, someone said Jaden Cox. And I'm like, Jaden Cox, weight-wise, would be perfect for Jake Paul. But I've actually never seen... Jaden Cox in a legitimate fist fight. Like, do I think Jaden Cox would hold his own in any fight ever? One thousand percent. Especially with this new kind of persona after missing the Olympics thanks to all that weight trouble we you know that kinda came up. I think he would be a legitimate fighter, but I think that Jaden really wants to concentrate on, you know, the wrestling. That, that that's that's more so I see his lane. I mean, could he be a pro wrestler? Could he go into combat sports? I think he'd be phenomenal at anything. I think he's a good enough Gifted, athletically talented person where he could do anything. Like, you go back, I mean, he was all state at football as a freshman, and just, that was, it was just something to keep his time busy until he wrestled. So, I don't know. I mean, we'll have to still keep our eyes on Jake Paul and Logan Paul as it involves Mizzou wrestlers, I guess. I mean, who knew? Who knows? I mean, do you enjoy covering the spectacle that is the Paul brothers fighting Mizzou wrestlers? Uh, I can't, I can't say, can't say that I do. But,
3: I mean, I do enjoy. Combat sports though. I mean right. it, I mean when you think about the difference between UFC and, and boxing and just how much fun there is to have there. I mean it, I mean that's when you talk about just how good of an athlete Jaden is, I mean, if you talk about just the avenue that he can go. I mean, if the Paul Brothers could learn how to box, so can he probably. So, I mean, like it, it's just one of those things where it just it's part of the spectacle of the sport. I know there's a little bit of showmanship to it too, but I mean, sometimes you know, you got to separate the showmanship from the seriousness.
2: Fair enough. All right, going back into Missouri versus Central Michigan football now, uh, you attended uh, Tuesday's press conference with Steve Wilkes. We got actually have a lot of press in that, but they're changing it up again. Uh, you wrote a really good story about. Um, mizzou's defense you want to get a little bit into that yeah uh sure it, um, it was something we noticed that the
3: first availability that steve came in uh, i think since i've been here at least is that first day and he talked about the new base and the new bases and nickel defense i know a lot of people talk about oh, the, oh a base defense is you know seven uh a bo- uh, box with seven players and you know the down four down linemen three linebackers that's the base defense that everyone's been operating out of since you know the big dawn of time and dinosaurs itself but i mean I was reading on Football Outsiders the other day like just to kind of get a little bit more background on nickel defenses and just find a dec- a better way to de- describe it than just, oh, there's five defensive backs. But the nickel defense is the base defense now. That's something that a lot of teams are gravitating towards, and really the even the NFL is gravitating towards that as well. I mean, it, and it's not surprising that Mizzou would go this way because, like we talked about earlier in the week, last year and the year before that, there was the boundary safety that Mizzou had, but that was more of a deep pass protection kind of a thing whereas the nickel defense can protect both defenses it's it can stop the run it can stop the pass it just depends on you know where that what scheme or what play you call
2: yeah i agree with you there chris and you know we talked a little about about what the differences between last year's defense might be and this year's defense and one of the biggest changes is the kind of the fifth defensive back position you take away one of the linebackers you add in what a nickel you know defensive back would be and it looks like it's gonna be chris abram strain who was a true freshman wide receiver last year starting at defensive back from missouri this year and again a little bit about what that position might entail yeah uh, when you talk
3: about just being a nickelback um, the one thing that stood out was look at this photo, Grant. you said nickelback sorry <laughs> I, that's literally all i was going through my head the entire time i was uh writing that story but um no i think the most interesting thing to think about is um when you th- going into back to the press conference that is when uh steve Wilkes was talking it was just a little bit more about how versatile that position has to be and he mentioned the athleticism mentioned the ability to just go and and play the line of scrimmage and to, to go cover someone to drop back and rotate in coverages and that kind of stuff and maybe do a little bit of zone protection that way too i mean When you talk about Chris Abrams Drain, I mean you talk about a guy that has pure athleticism. You talk about a guy that was recruited to be a wide receiver at an SEC school, guy that had offers to go elsewhere too. Uh, I mean that he's pure athleticism, and and just credit to the coaching staff for taking him on and teaching him how to be a cornerback. You know, uh, in a basically a summer like that's, and credit to Chris Abrams Drain for for learning that too. And when when you think about how quick he has to be and that's where the receiver skills come into play and i mean he catches he's he supposed to catch balls as a receiver but now he can just intercept passes too so he's got good hands you know it kind of goes along the lines of like the skills transferred and you're going to get a good athlete there
2: for, for sure and, and i think that when you look at chris abram's Drain, and you look at the other you know defensive backs on missouri you you might pop i mean ennis rakestraw was named the starter again at one of the defensive uh back spots for cornerback over Alec and then you have the or Ishberdeen or Caleb Evans on the other side we know we're having Martez Manuel at the traditional strong safety point but when it comes to free safety and the nickel you know I guess nickel safety nickel back whatever you want to call it um, that's going to be two converted players from other positions as the traditional starters JC Carlisle is going to be out for the first half because of the targeting call all the way back from the Mississippi State game but he came in as a true corner and yes there's less of a flip from cornerback to safety but those are still two different positions. I mean, that's why people who play offensive line, you essentially got to learn the entire line because you can kind of play anywhere. But having Abrams Drain and J.C. Carlisle in those positions is going to be a, really a credit to what, you know, Charlie Harbison and Steve Wilkes have done back there, where you can find your talent. Find, really, when they talk about getting the best 22 guys in the field, they're not limiting their options. And so it'll probably be Jelani Williams starting in that spot uh, instead of of jc carlisle but man there's a lot of young talent on this defense wouldn't you say yeah and a lot of young and athletic uh, defensive talent too for sure and it looks like just going kind of back over the depth chart in my head i don't have it in front of me we we did get the first one on tuesday from uh eli and obviously connor starting at quarterback uh we know tyler Beatty is a starting running back we have kiki chisholm starting at receiver uh there's a lot couple of ores beyond that in there Toski Dove fighting for one spot with Dominic Lovett but we believe it'll be Toski and then at the other wide receiver spot in the slot Barrett Bannister Mookie Cooper Chance Looper JJ Hester kind of all right in there when it comes to the offensive line we know Mike Mayetti is going to be at center we know Case Cook is going to be at right guard the other three are kind of a little bit open Uh, Xavier Delgado should be the left guard in terms of the tackles on one side you got Zeke Powell and Javon Foster on the other could be Hiron White, who missed all of last year. It could be Connor Wood, the Montana State transfer. And then at tight end, looks to be split between Nico Hay and Daniel Parker. Uh, anybody on defense stand out to you on the from the depth chart no because th- this
3: is really what we've been thinking about for the last couple months i mean for for me the last two weeks that i've been here i mean these are the players that you look at from last year that carry over to this year i mean the only thing that I mean, like the only biggest difference that you kind of noted was the nickel defense but that's a different position with different players we didn't really know what to expect there but it, it, so far it seems like nothing has really surprised us and when you think about that for a team that's carrying a lot of experience back this year that's a good thing
2: yeah I will agree with you there uh we know it's Trajan Trajan Jeffcoat's going to start Kobe Whiteside's right there and Akil Byers right there and then maybe Chris Turner or maybe Makai Wingo even starting at defensive end it'll be Devin Nicholson and uh, Blaze Aldridge the Rice transfer starting in former and Nick Bolton's former spot at linebacker and then we just talked about the defensive back for a long time so we don't have to go back over those we know Harrison Meebus and uh, Grant McKinnis will be the starting kicker and punter. And then we get back into Chris Abrams Drain, who might be kick, returning punts and kicks for this team. A guy who's really going to step up his role from last year where he, I don't want to say he barely played, but he had limited action across the 2020 years, and now. Really appears to be maybe the guy who steps up his role the most from one year to the next over, over this team. Really, really a guy from the Mobile, Alabama area who really could make a big impact this year. I mean, you talked
3: about it yourself. I mean, this is a coaching staff that's finding it's it, finding the best players and it gets them on the field and and a lot of talk about the 22 but also that kind of extends the kick return or the punt return or two I mean those guys have to touch the ball in some way shape or form if you can score touchdowns on that that's obviously that's optimal Chris what is your final score prediction for Saturday at first I was going to go something like 38-24 but I mean knowing the uncertainty at quarterback I, I mean and, and knowing just how experienced Mizzou is now I'd go something along the lines of like 48-14
2: well, wow, yeah, that's a little bit similar to what I wrote in the Tribune a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I said 45-17, which feels a little bit big when you think about it, but at the same time, this game could get out of hand at the end, of, especially if Central Michigan can't find consistent quarterback play. They're not going to score point, that many points. We don't know that much about Missouri's defense, but there still could be some you know, surprises in there and big plays, especially with uncertain quarterback play. If the defensive backs show up, It's going to make them have a long, long day. Anything else you want to talk about before we get out of this week's episode? And, you know, we'll talk to these guys next week. Anything. Welcome back, college football. Yeah. All right. Well, how about this? One one other game besides Missouri's you're looking forward to watching this weekend
3: uh with my own personal interests alone. Sure, uh, yeah sure. uh, sunday there's uh, notre dame florida state uh notre dame beat florida state last year with jordan travis at quarterback for the seminoles it's going to be a lot better game this year and i'm going to stress eat the entire time uh, other than that monday louisville and ole miss is a game i'm going to be watching too
2: Yeah, I think besides that, Clemson-Georgia is one that I'm really looking forward to in Charlotte, which is interesting considering Clemson's from South Carolina, Georgia's from Georgia, and the game's in North Carolina. And it's still about two hours to the same spot from Athens and Clemson. It'll be a really fun game to watch other than that. I mean, it's a big-time rivalry from back when I was very young, but West Virginia-Maryland, that's a big rivalry game that doesn't happen that much anymore. It means a lot to a lot of those people back in the Mid-Atlantic. So. For Chris Krasinski, I'm Eric Blum. Thank you for listening to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast, and we will see you next week.
0: Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh... –